So if you've been following along with us here in the church, we're, we're doing uh, the story, and it's an abridged version of the Bible, and I realize that some people are in different spots, okay, but uh, as Nathan has sort of kept us on track, today we are in chapter 18, and the title is Daniel in Exile. Well, Daniel is like the standard Sunday school lesson, like Yes, the lion's den, we got that. And we got Daniel's friends, what happened to them? The fiery furnace, right? So, so we got that. We got the, the Sunday school lesson. And uh, today what I'd kind of like to do is perhaps talk a little bit beyond the Sunday school lesson because this book of Daniel, it wouldn't be my first choice to get up here and talk about, honestly. And when, when Nathan told me where we were and, and that he was going to be missing this week, and he said, hey, can you fill in and do Daniel? My first reaction was lion's den and fire. And then there's some writing on a wall mysteriously and dreams. And I got to tell you, I'm, the dreams and all that, they, they just don't click with me. Like, I don't get it. So, so anyway, we're not going to talk a lot about the dreams. But, so, but to prepare, of course, I, of course, I'm going to help Nathan out when he needs help. So I start reading the book of Daniel, and, and I start realizing, all right, wait a minute, there's way more to this. And of course, Nathan's giving me commentaries and stuff. He wants to help out a whole bunch. And all it did was make me more confused, because now I have more and more things about this book to talk about. And maybe I should have just decided to talk about the fiery furnace and the lion's den, and then we could all go home, and it would be great. But that didn't work out that way because I started to read and I said, wait a minute, this is, there's real history here. There's, there's prophecy. It's a, it's a beautiful narrative. It's a, 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 a literature, a book of literature that is just, it's amazing. The visions are amazing. The interpretations are amazing. The prophecies are amazing. There's universal truth. There's big lessons that we can learn from Daniel beyond what we've learned in Sunday school, that God, that God shut the mouths of lions and allowed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego not to be burned up in a fire. We see in this book, we see powerful nation-states taking over vast areas of territory. And where do those nation-states come from? We see awful arrogance on the part of some of the Babylonian kings, and then we see great humility on the part of... We see throughout this book that God is going to have his way. The big lesson is that God is sovereign. He causes his nations to rise up and to fall. And I think if we are honest with ourselves, living in America, we always think God is on our side. But we should remember that God causes empires to rise and to fall. And I'm not so sure that America is any different than any other empire. God's story and God's plan is being played out right now, whether or not we live in America or Russia, or anywhere else for that matter. So the, the book, however, has not been without controversy. You know, there's a part in Daniel, actually right as it starts out, Daniel 1.1 says, In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Fair enough. 
But over in Jeremiah 46, verse 2, it says, concerning Egypt, this is the message against the army of Pharaoh, Necho, king of Egypt, which was defeated at Carchemish on the Euphrates River by Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Now, I recognize that if the Bible got one year wrong or we have a misinterpretation, it doesn't change the fact that God is in control and he's still there. However, people will look at that and say, no, the Bible can't get this right. Daniel's saying that it was the third year of Jehoiakim's reign, and Jeremiah is saying the fourth year of Jehoiakim's reign. So how do we deal with that? First of all, if you don't want to believe the Bible, you can use that and say, well, none of it's true. All right, but if you do want to know the answer, you might turn to Gleason Archer's uh, Encyclopedia of B Biblical Difficulties, and he says that those two passages are talking about the exact same thing the fall of Jerusalem in the year 605 B.C. by the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. There's no doubt those two things are talking about the same point in time. What uh, Gleason Archer says, which makes this completely understandable, is that the Jewish people considered, let me get this right, the Jewish people considered the first year of a king's reign the year that the king started, regardless of the month that they started in. So if a king took over in the year 2022, like today, the Jewish method of calculation the first year would be 2022. The Babylonian method of calculating the years of a king's reign started the very first day of the following year, so it would have to be a full year. So if a king took over today in Babylon, you would say the first year of that king was 2023. Well, the Bible's true, so it's all going to work out, <laughs> right? So, so the same date in these two different books, one says the third year, one says the fourth year, it's not a problem for us. I only bring that up because, you know, I need to burn some time, and it's kind of interesting to know. <laughs> so so it's, not, it's not a problem, you know, and, and again, it's one of those things that Sometimes I like to add, I guess it's one of those things like, do I know it because somebody told me, or do I know it because it's true? And if we, if we dig deeper and look, archaeology and everything else keeps on affirming the Bible. And why people can't get through their, their, through their head is beyond me. But we have the Sunday school lesson, we talk about Daniel. And we know King Nebuchadnezzar. And we know Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's sidebar here for a second. That's not their real names. When they were taken out of exile, the king of Babylon changed their names because that's what kings do when they want to show you that you belong to me. Totally taking over someone and then changing your actual name is what kings do. And then we see, what does God do? Abraham? Is Peter's name Peter? Was it originally Peter? Is Paul's name originally Paul? Uh-huh. I think it's going to be funny when we get to heaven if God starts calling us a different name and we're like, what are you talking about? It's like he's owned us from the beginning. We'll figure out our right name when we get there. But we have this, this evil power in the book of Daniel called Babylon. And it's not just in the book of 
Daniel. I mean, you see it throughout the Bible. I think I read somewhere that Babylon is mentioned somewhere like 180 or 200 times throughout the Bible. And you know, if you read your Bible, like the, Babylon is used interchangeably for the Roman Empire, the evil Roman Empire in Jesus' day. It's mentioned repeatedly in Revelation. It, it's, it's essentially uh, a synonym for the evil powers of the world. And Babylon's a real city. It straddled the Euphrates River. It was a wonderful city. It had the Hanging Gardens, which I guess is one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It's where the Tower of Babel was. Of course, we see how that worked out. And, and it's about 50 miles from present-day Baghdad. But it's, it's a nation that's become synonymous with the enemies of God in both the Old and the New Testament. There's a prophecy in Jeremiah that says Babylon is going to take over and destroy Jerusalem, and it happens. Again, 605 B.C., the first year uh, of the exile, which happened in waves, but Daniel gets taken off in the first wave, which is 605 B.C. Uh, the, the Babylonians carry off many of the relics that are in the temple, and we'll see that used later on with Belshazzar when he has a drunken feast. That doesn't work out for him either. The royal line of Babylon is filled with palace intrigue and coups and counter-coups and the murder of a young prince who was destined to be king. It's a, it's a mess. And, and I wonder where Babylon came from. Well, we see it first in Genesis chapter 10. If you, if you can, quickly, maybe on your phone or if you're following along with me or in Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, we see the origins of Babylon. You may have a header at chapter 10 here that says the table of nations, but we're going to skip down to verse 8, and it says, Cush was the father of Nimrod, who became a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The first centers of his kingdoms were Babylon, Uruk, Akkad and Kalne in Shinar. I want to keep going here for just a second because it goes on to say, from that land he went to Assyria where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth, Ur, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala. It goes on. But I wanted to make sure we got Nineveh in there because what do we know about Nineveh? Yeah, Nineveh is not a great place either, is it, in the story of, of the Bible? In fact, God's got to send Jonah over there to kind of straighten him out, and what does Jonah do? Another lesson for us. <laughs> yeah, right? He doesn't want any part of it, and I don't blame him. Now, Nimrod is the great-grandson of Noah. And I, I grabbed my... Uh, Bible dictionary here, and I wanted to learn a little bit more about Nimrod, and I only got about one sentence because here's the entry for Nimrod. Nimrod, a personal name meaning we shall rebel. <laughs> Don't you love it when the Bible does stuff like that to you? So, so Nimrod, whose name means we shall rebel, he, he founds Babylon 
and Nineveh. And we see Babylon being this substitute for the evils of this world. But fear not. I also looked up Daniel in my Bible dictionary. And you know what Daniel says? Because I didn't get too far. It says, personal name meaning God is judge or God's judge. God's going to have his way with Babylon and with all of us, frankly, in the end. So we have Daniel. What can we say about Daniel? We know he survived the lion's den. Yeah, yep, 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 we got that. How would we describe him? I would describe him as a man of amazing faith. I would describe him as an example to both Jews and Gentiles. I mean, we don't see in Daniel, if my recollection is true, we don't see Daniel returning in triumph to Jerusalem. We see Daniel in exile for basically his whole life. He's carried off as a young man, of course, so he had some early training. But he's carried off to a land that's not his, and he never gets to return home. But we see him for decades. I mean, in the end, he's serving a Persian king who has taken over from the Babylonians. We see him faithfully using his gifts in a place that he's not even supposed to be. He, he strikes me as sort of a prophet different from the others. He's, he's using his gifts in, servings, in service of a pagan king and being exceptional at it. But his faith doesn't allow him to take that last step and recognize someone else as authority over him than God. Is there a lesson there for us? Maybe. Are we where we're supposed to be? Or are we exiles from where we should be? And, and based on that, should we not be like Daniel, using our gifts in service of God, no matter what our circumstances are? I think maybe we should. Now, I don't mean to say Daniel is not a prophet because Jesus calls him a prophet. So Daniel, of course, is a prophet. My, my notice was that he wasn't the typical prophet where he was getting word from God and then telling the Jews, you know, go do something. He was more service of a pagan give, as an example for the rest. So it all, it all works out. But if, if, if Jesus calls Daniel a prophet, he does in Matthew 24 and Mark 13. I'm going to go with that no matter what my mind tries to tell me. But Daniel's a man of amazing faith. It's, it's really not about surviving the lion's den. It, it's all part of it. But Daniel's faith is so much more than that. I'd like to turn to Hebrews chapter 11, where Paul is discussing faith. And, and he's, he's talking about how faith allowed the Jews to cross the Red Sea, and faith caused the walls of Jericho to fall down. And he gets finally to verse 32 in chapter 11. And this is one of my favorite verses. And he says, 
And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, and Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. It's his faith. It's not, not Daniel that fights off the lions. It's his, his faith. Now, what, what about the quenching of those flames? Right, we like that Sunday school story. Da- back in Daniel, verse 3, in chapter, or, yeah, ch- sorry, chapter, th- chapter 3. Yeah, here we go. I told you the message was 10 minutes. I'm already over time, and now I can't figure out where I am. <laughs> so, Daniel, chapter 3, verse 16. What's our lesson there? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. Verse 16 and 17. That's the Sunday school lesson. And I'm not, I'm not saying that we should not go to God and ask for specific things and have confidence that God is going to come through for us in the end. That's our Sunday school lesson. But if we look a little bit deeper and we just read the next verse. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. The Sunday school lesson is verse 16 and 17. Our lesson is verse 18. Because does God answer all of our prayers the way we want them? Does it? Does, no, no, thank you. <laughs> But we have to remember this part. But even if he doesn't, he is still God. It's God's plan that matters. He wants us to be in relationship. He wants us to go to him and ask. That's all true. And we, have, we can have confidence that God will deliver us ultimately. But the big lesson is verse 18 but even if he doesn't. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego show us that. They're saved, and that's amazing. That's what's going to stick in, in our head. But that big lesson, they're so faithful that even if he doesn't, they're still going to stick with God. And I think that we should. We see uh, also here in Daniel, we're going to go skip over to chapter 5. I think we, we see a lesson that perhaps we don't teach often enough in Sunday school or perhaps we don't think about enough in our own lives, but there is a great distinction between arrogance and humility found in chapter 5. In chapter 5, we see King Belshazzar. Uh, he's the, going to be the last king of Babylon. 
And he's, at current, when this is happening, his uh, city is surrounded by the Persians, but the thought was that the walls of Babylon were impregnable, so they weren't all that concerned, and King Belshazzar decides to have a drunken feast with a thousand of his nobles. And while he's doing that, he displays the height of arrogance by calling for the uh, holy relics from Jerusalem to be brought to him so that they can drink toasts and praise other gods using the things that they stole from the temple all those years ago. Just guess if that's going to work out. Like if you can use the, the, the goblets from the temple to honor the gods of gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, God's not going to suffer that very long. So we see the hand come and start writing on the wall, and he doesn't have anybody that can interpret it for him. Maybe he's forgotten about Daniel because we see the, the queen comes and says, hey, there's this Jewish guy that can interpret dreams. Maybe you should talk to him. And Belshazzar offers anyone who can interpret the dream the third position in his kingdom. Now, let me get now a sidebar here because that sounds kind of odd. Wouldn't the king be able to give you the second position? Like he's not going to give you his, right? But he can give you the second one. But he says third. And one of the reasons that this has, has been a, a troublesome to some people is that the early Greek historians knew nothing of Belshazzar. So they said that the, the, Belsh, the Belshazzar in Daniel 5 is a made-up legend because the last king of the Babylonians was a guy with a name that started with N. But archaeology has uncovered the fact that that guy had a son named Belshazzar at this time and that he was in retirement in Saudi Arabia. So he retains the kingdom, but he's appointed Belshazzar king over Babylon while he's away for a decade in Saudi Arabia. So one, two, Daniel can, can be three. When we talked about the height of arrogance, now it's like sidebar back. All right. The Bible will do that to you. I can't remember where we first heard it, but, it, but somebody said that uh, the Bible's like uh, hyperlinks on the internet. Like everywhere you go, you can click on and you can just keep ending up in the same place. So it's, it's amazing. And so I went that way. Now we're going to come back because I'm talking about humility. And what does Daniel say in response to this offer? You can be number three in the kingdom in five Chapter 5, verse 17, Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Daniel's faithfulness to use God's gift continues, and he doesn't need any earthly reward for what he is doing. Is there a lesson there for us in this present age? Perhaps. Even if we happen to be in a pagan world and using our gifts in a pagan world, they should be used for the glory of God, not for position three in the kingdom of Babylon. Shutting the mouths of lions, rescued from the fiery furnace, mysterious writing on the wall, it's all amazing. But I'd like to really drill down now into one specific word and one specific chapter. I'm going to turn to Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. And if you grab the Bible that we have here or you're reading out of the NIV, 
What you're going to read here is Daniel is a young man. He's been carried away from his hometown, and he's been placed into the servants service of the Babylonian king who insists that he's going to eat the diet that he gives. And we get to verse 8 where it says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. We, can't, we know the story. The word I want to focus on here is resolve. Because I think sometimes it's helpful to look at other translations, not to say that it changes the meaning of the Bible at all, but sometimes if you read a translation that has a different wording, sometimes it just hits you a different way. And I looked up this, this verse uh, 8 here, and other more modern translations say Daniel determined or Daniel made up his mind. Now, I can relate to all of this, to, to resolve and uh, to determine and to make up my mind. I, I can relate to all that. I mean, I'm sure you guys all can too. Like, I have at one point resolved to go on a Daniel fast. The problem is that I consider loaded baked potatoes as vegetables. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and I'm pretty sure that if Pepsi existed back then, that would have been okay too. So, but I've resolved to go on a Daniel fast. I've resolved to save more money. I've resolved to increase my tithe. I've determined to volunteer more. I've determined to give a little bit more to charity next year than this year. I've determined to spend more time with my kids. I've made up my mind to forgive. I've made up my mind to love my enemies. And every single time, it doesn't seem that I do so well. It's like loaded baked potatoes everywhere. So I wondered to myself, how can Daniel, this very young man, how can he defy a king in the way that he does? And for me, and, and I'm sharing this just for me, like I said, nothing changes the verse or the meaning of the verse. But in the King James Version, we read this for, for verse 8. It says, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, not with the wine that he drank, and it goes on. And that, that term, purposed in his heart, it just hits me differently. And I can look back on my life and I know that all the things that I said I resolved to do and I don't always do them to the the extent that I want. I do know the times that when I purpose that in my heart, I'm much more successful. If I purpose in my heart that I'm going to be a better husband and better father, I'm more likely to be a better husband and a better father. If I resolve to pray more, I might end up playing Angry Birds or Wordle on my phone. If I purpose in my heart 
to pray more. I'm more likely to commit to it and to follow through. When I purpose in my heart to spend more time with the kids, work doesn't seem to get in the way as much. When I purpose in my heart, it turns out that I do end up giving more to charity and volunteering more. And there's only one way that I've ever, ever been able to love my enemy, and that's the purpose in my heart. So I'm going to call up the worship team now. I said they'd be back. They're going to be back. And what I, as they're coming forward, what I pray is that this, the members of this church and this church corporately, the church worldwide, that we would take Daniel's example to purpose in our hearts, that we would be more faithful in prayer, that we would purpose in our hearts to forgive purpose in our hearts to serve, purpose in our hearts to love, and purpose in our hearts to put Jesus first. We are his servants. We don't know what name he's given us yet, but let's purpose in our hearts to put Jesus first in all we do and truly be his followers as we're here in exile on earth.